Hey everybody, welcome back to Steve's NRL Footy Tips for one final time in 2022. I'm your host, Stephen Westway, and 2022 has almost gone past us. I mean, it's been a big year on the podcast, a big year in rugby league, 25 regular season rounds of good football, and then uh, a pretty good final series as well. There's been, you know, some big stories um, this season, but ultimately it all comes down to Sunday night. It's the Penrith Panthers versus the Parramatta Eels in the grand final this year. And Penrith did so by downing South Sydney on Saturday night and making their third consecutive grand final, winning that game 32-12. to They didn't have it all their own way in the first half. The Rabbitohs got up to a 12-0 lead, my beloved Rabbitohs, but the Panthers two got on the night, and that's uh, five preliminary finals for the Rabbitohs in a row, and ultimately no premierships at the end of the day. So the Rabbitohs are at a crossroad. We'll see how they can come back from this you know next year but um, you know the Panthers another grand final and they're going to go up against the Parramatta Eels who on Friday night won a, a game that you know not about its controversy but they toughed it out and got over the North Queensland Cowboys in front of a you know hostile crowd up there in town until 24-20 to 20. the Eels make their first grand final since 2009 and look to break the 36 year drought I said that I Expected big things from Parramatta this year on the podcast. I think they surprised everybody, including myself, by um, you know how they've gone about their business. After that Panthers loss in week one of the finals, they've bounced back well, and you know they're looking like a team that's going to be very hard to beat come Sunday night. But the Panthers obviously heavy favourites, so we're going to preview all the action here today on Steve's NRL Footy Tips. I um. I'm going to review the Dally M's and name my team of the year momentarily. But during the show, I'm going to have Josh Duncan step by shortly. He's going to um, jump in and, and join the show. Like he has done so many times in the past, but obviously today, very different to those other times because today's the day that Josh can come on and preview his beloved Parramatta Eagles in a grand final. And, you know, he's him just like... You know, a hundred thousand other Parramatta supporters out there, all around Australia and across the road, uh, across the world, is going are going to be cheering for Parramatta to break that thirty-six year premiership drought. And you know, it's uh, one of those things where the emotion is going to be a lot on Sunday night, and hopefully, for all those die-hard Parramatta fans, twenty twenty-two can be the year that you can say that you know you finally saw either Parramatta win a premiership or see them win their first premiership in 36 years if you're around back in 1986 when they last raised the title. For Penrith, they're going for two in a row and they're going to be very, very hard to beat. They've been the best team for three years in the competition now. And, you know, we're going to preview the whole game. I'm going to get Matt Cosgrew, Matt Dupond on later and they're going to, um, you know, give you your first try score predictions. They're going to predict the Clive Churchill medal and we're going to see where the game's going to be won who, how, what Parramatta have to do to win the game what the Penrith Panthers have to do to win the game and ultimately our match preview so it's been you know a fun year doing the show again and hopefully next year we're going to be even bigger and better I'm coming back next year I'm going to launch a YouTube channel I'm going to have more guests and more content for you guys to enjoy but this is episode 43 for the year and you know it's been a pleasure doing this once again I appreciate all the support um for those that haven't and you know still listen to the show, please go like uh, Steve's and our Footy Tips on Facebook. Leave a review, subscribe wherever you guys may listen to the show. It all helps, and it all helps grow the show. And I know a lot of you guys have done that, and I appreciate it. I hope you guys continue to support me on this journey. And you know, I just love talking about football. And 
you know, 2022 has been another year where hopefully I've, you know, found a, a little bit of a more audience and got the show out there even further and next year is going to be bigger than ever. So I want to thank everybody for their support in 2022. In saying that, let's get to the Dalian medals last night and I always intended on this show to name my team of the year like I do every year, but I thought uh, I'll do a little bit different this year and that's just by having a look at the Dalian medals first and... Last night, we saw Nico Hine win the Dalian Player of the Year over James Tedesco and Ben Hunt, who was in third. Ben Hunt was the overwhelming favourite to win the award, but Nico Hines polled the highest points ever and uh, only the second Cronulla Shark, I believe, in history to win the prestigious award. The Team of the Year that the NRL named the Dalian Team of the Year, and this opens up the floodgates for the conversation of how the Dalian medal is given out. Should it, the criteria be changed, or are we happy with how it's ran? These positional awards go to the player that polled the most points in each position for the year, which is a fair way to do it, but also at the same time, there's, I think a lot of people can agree there's been significant flaws in the Dallium system for years, but regardless of how you feel about it, the NRL named James Tedesco as the fullback of the year. The wingers of the year was Joseph Suwali and Alex Johnston. The centers were Joey Manu and Valentine Holmes. The 5'8 was Cameron Munster. The halfback was Nico Hines. The props, Payne Huss and Joseph Tarfanay. The hooker was Abby Corus here. The second row was Billy Army Kikia and Jeremiah Nenai. And the lock was Isaiah Yo. Pretty good team. Um, mine's a little bit different, and I'm going to get into mine right now. But big congratulations to all those guys that won awards last night. And it was great to see the best and brightest in the NRL um, out in stride last night, including everybody in the NRLW. And they got their night to celebrate as well, which is good to see. And there's a huge grand final coming up this weekend between the Paramount Eels and the Newcastle Knights in the NRLW. The Eels going to the grand final with only two wins for the year, and they defeated the undefeated Roosters to get to the grand final. So a huge upset there, and you know we'll touch on that game a little bit later as well. But my team of the year for 2022, Steve's NRL team of the year for 2022, at fullback James Tedesco from the Sydney Roosters. I agree with what they the NRL um, picked. Tedesco has been the most consistent fullback for you know five years in the competition now. His run meters, his support play, and, you know, his willingness to do whatever he can to sometimes drag the Roosters over the winning, um, over the line to, to win games is remarkable. And, you know, everybody talks about Ryan Pappenhaus and they talk about Tommy Turbo and how much they are superstars of this game. And they 100% are. But Tedesco continues to prove year in and year out that he's um, consistent. He's always going to be there. And he's, you know, one of the best I guess he's once of a, in a generation type of, of fullback in 2022 has been no different. Um, he was enormous for the Roosters all season and really led from the front. My wingers of the year, Alex Johnson from the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the only player to score 30 tries in three consecutive seasons. He was at his try scoring best again this year and he's now in the top five for all-time tries. He's closing in on Ken Irvine's all-time try scoring record. He's still a little bit to go there. Um, I believe, what, 60, 65 tries left, but... You know, he's another once-in-a-generation talent in terms of finishing tries. I guess a criticism on Alec Johnson's game is sometimes he doesn't go in and do the hard work, but he's the best um, probably we've ever seen at, at scoring tries, and he's had another remarkable season there for the Seattle New Rabbitohs on that dangerous left edge. The other winger I've gone, where I've disagreed a little bit with the Dallium Awards, I've gone Josh Adokar from the Bulldogs. Now, it was hard to get another position, and I know Suwali's definitely the future, and he's had a bright 2022, but I just think that... You know, he's still a little bit of ways off there. We talk about the tough carries, and if he wants to be fullback, he's got to do that a little bit better. 
he's a great finisher of the game and a superstar in the making, no doubt about it. But I think he's still a little bit of more development left in him. I'm actually going Josh Adokar from the Canterbury Bulldogs. I think that he's been enormous, especially in the back half of 2022, the second half of the season. But it took him a little while to adjust, but once he started scoring tries, he... Um, he did so at an alarming rate for the opposition. And his partnership with Matt Bird has been outstanding in 2022. So um, I think underrated, I think he should have been the New South Wales side. I think Brad Fittler stuffed up this season. Daniel Tupo is a fine player. But I think that Josh Adokar adds an energy and a confidence that a lot of players in our game don't have today. And I think that the Fox um, deserves all the accolades he gets. And that's why he's in my team of the year for 2022. My centers, the same as the Dalian medals, um, Joseph Manu and Valentine Holmes. I think they both had enormous seasons. Manu, some might say that he's eclipsed James Tedesco as the best player at the Roosters. And if we're going to 2022 form, I'd probably agree. He can slot in anywhere in the field and play remarkable. He's making 200 to 300 meters sometimes in games. And he is one of those rare X-Factors that we see in the NRL where he can break a game open at any time. He has been absolutely enormous in 2022 and he deserves his spot as one of my centers. The other center, as I mentioned, Dalton Holmes. A real resurgent year for him and, um, you know, he was fantastic in the Queensland series before the Cowboys. I mean, the resurgence that that team has had in 2022 has been remarkable. I tipped them to be wooden spooners and Holmes has been at the forefront of that. He's a veteran of the squad. His defense... Um, in the centres is second to none and it's been an outstanding season for him where he's you know kicking goals scoring tries um, not letting anyone pass him he has been remarkable in 2022 my half for this season Cameron Munster from the Melbourne Storm same as the Dallium's outstanding season it's a career best season for Munster and in my opinion he's probably been the player of the year in 2022 and I know that's not how the Dallium uh, voting systems works he probably never would have got named in that position but he has been remarkable and you know, one to watch for sure. Cameron Munster, um, incredible this season. And, you know, he again, just like Tedesco, he carried, um, you know, the Storm to, to wins almost single-handedly, um, not taken away from the rest of those Storm players, but his form's been remarkable. Taking on the line, improved kicking game and that ability to switch between 5'8 and fullback endlessly, and he has been able to pop up in the Storm's uh, offensive line, um, and when they've got the ball and attack, uh, whenever he gets a chance and he's be able to roam both sides of the field, it's truly been a great year for Cameron Munster. And again, leading Queensland, I mean, he was a star in State of Origin again in 2022. I don't know if we're ever going to see a better season of Cameron Munster. Absolutely, yes, the annual season, and he deserves um, all the accolades he's got this year. And he's really matured as a footballer as well. I mean, all the off-field stuff, um, you know, he got in trouble at the back end of 2021. He seems like he's grown up and matured a lot in 2022. And, you know, that's why he's a hot committed, a commodity on the market at the moment. We've got the Storm trying to keep him, the Tigers and the Dolphins and several other teams chasing him. But every cent that Cameron Munster gets paid um, after 2023 is going to be uh, money well invested, in my opinion. Ben Hunt, the halfback of the year, I think that uh, he edges Nico Hines for me, and obviously Cleary is out for the majority of the year. He'll, he would be the runaway winner in this award. Mitchell Moses, a great season as well, but Ben Hunt um, for the Dragons, he is their best player. A lot of times when they were winning games, they won 12 this year. He was at the forefront of, of it, and I know that's a bad look to give the player of the year to a um, Dragons player, but I thought he should have been, really been in the mix, and based on the criteria, how they pick these awards. Munster would have been my player of the year, but I think Ben Hunt honestly deserved the award. He um, was outstanding, and he's 
just become a complete footballer over the past few years. That try that he scored in Origin 3, even though I'm a Blues fan, was satisfying to see that redemption um, that Ben Hunt has gotten, especially us, all the criticism he has taken over the years for the 2015 blunder that um, may or may not have cost the Broncos the premiership that year. So, um, you know, just his defense is unbelievable. He's a great hooker. He's good at halfback for the Dragons. Hooker's probably his position, but... Um, he single-handedly got the, the Dragons over the line several times this year, and he's been outstanding. My props of the year, Regan Campbell-Gillard and Joseph Tarpanay, and um, the Dallyams picked Tarpanay and Huss. Look, I just think that everybody knows Tarpanay has been the best forward in the game this year, or if not the best forward, at least the best front rower. He has been remarkable. He's second-phase football, and the energy he brings to that Canberra Raiders forward pack is a real reason why they made the top eight this year, and that huge second half of the season and the offloads that he gets, the abilities to break tackles, um, always leading by example. And he's become a real leader in the Canberra Raiders side and a player that's almost impossible to stop when he's coming at your full pelt and uh, Tarpany. Hopefully he can continue into next year, but um, based on what we're seeing, he could be a um, one of those once-in-a-generation front roles. He's just on another level right now and the rest of the uh, forwards have to aim up to stop me every time he gets the ball. Regan Campbell-Gillard, great season in 2021. I think he has improved on it in 2022. He got a well-deserved recall into the State of Origin side for Game 1. I think it was a little bit unfair how he got dropped in Game 2 um, based on his performance. I can understand why Brad Fittler wanted to go into a different position after that Game 1 loss, but I think he's been outstanding. Taking the hard carries, he's 1-2 combo of Junior Paulo, second and none, and I've mentioned it many times in this podcast. It's such a key attribute um, for the Eels getting momentum and, you know, winning games of football. So, remarkable by Regan Campbell-Gillard. My hooker of the year, Harry Cramp. Another great season for Harry. And, you know, that kind of the second um, head honcho, I, I believe, maybe third after Hughes at the Melbourne Storm. Um, his ability to create opportunities from dummy half, second and none. And it was a tough award, this one, because Cook and Coruscant were both in the mix and Coruscant got the Dally M. But... Uh, you know, the ability to break a game open, I think I just give the edge to Harry Grant this year. My second role is Viliami Kikia and Isaiah Papalihi from the Panthers and the Parramatta Eels. Kikia, another great season for him in the best team in the competition uh, year in and year out. He is um, just the next factor on that left-hand side for Penrith. And again, second phase football, ability to break tackles. He's got it all, Kikia. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he responds going to the Bulldogs next year. But... He's left his mark on, on the Pender Panthers and their legacy. And Isaiah Papalihi from the Parramatta Eels, again, I think that um, him departing the Eels at the end of the year, and it's no secret that you know the second roles here are no coincidence that they're the grand final second roles and uh, two of the second roles in the grand final. But Papalihi, breakout year for him um, once again, just like 2021 was. He has really continued where he left off on um, the, the work rate and the um, work that he gets through and that ability to compete second and none and the Tigers are getting a great footballer but hopefully he can go out with a premiership this weekend Isaiah Yo is my lock of the year the first half of the year is absolutely outstanding and it was a toss up between him and Cameron Murray for the award but um, you know that ability to play as an extra half in the middle of the field which Cam Murray has adopted a little bit as well and it's just been a game changer there at Penrith and if you know somehow Cleary and Luai both get shut down and Edwards as well doesn't happen often Isaiah Yo a lot of time is the man that um Straightens the Panthers' attack and comes up with big plays at big moments. My bench this year, Nico Hines, the Dalian medalist. Um, you know, remarkable year. Key on Kalal Matungi, I thought has been fantastic for South Sydney and deserves a, a shout-out. So he's on my bench. Cam Murray for the Rabbitohs as well. We all know he's one of the best players 
and best forwards in the NRL. And Tom Dearden from the Cowboys, what a breakout year it was for him. So those are my players in the team of the year. I won't waste any more time of it, but congratulations to all these guys that won um, awards last night. And, you know, it's that time of the show where I'm going to bring in diehard Parramatta Eels fan Josh Duncan, and uh, we're going to have a chat leading into this weekend's game, which is probably the biggest game that Josh Duncan has seen as a Parramatta Eels supporter in his life. All right, I just mentioned it, but I've got the man himself. Welcome back to the show, Josh Duncan. And Josh, it's been a... uh, a big final series. We had you on for finals week one, and we all predicted the Eels versus the Panthers playing the grand final. Not necessarily the road that we thought would get to this game through. The Eels lost round one, and they've come back stronger than ever with big wins over the Raiders and Cowboys. You're a diehard Parramatta fan. You've been a Parramatta fan your whole life, just like a lot of people that you know probably listen to this podcast. You're one of these people that obviously there's going to be emotions going to be high come Sunday, but mate, how are the nerves feeling heading into the Eels making their first grand final since 2009, and how do you think the Eels have been over the last few weeks and in the final series so far in general? Yeah, I mean, um, week one was a, week one was definitely a, um, a lesson a lesson learned from us. Um, we didn't put any pressure on Cleary, and Cleary just outplayed us, outbombed us, outkicked us, and I mean, we're not going to make the same mistake again. We are going to be fired up, ready to go. And nerves, the nerves are there. I mean, it's first grand final since 2009, and I can barely remember that um, the lead up to that grand final. So it's um, as the days get closer and closer, it's just going to get more surreal. And I think all the lead up on Sunday um, for a 7:30 7:30pm grand final. Don't get me started on that, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be an amazing game, and I know we're we're going to be raring to go. Um, we're not we're not going to we're not going to fold like we did in week one and week two and three. We proved what we can do, albeit with a forward pass against the Cowboys. But I still think we were going to win that game even without that forward pass. But um, yeah, look, um very confident I mean um, of course the powers that be let kick out off but I think we should we should be okay we contain their forward pack pretty well up until the fact up until the point where Cleary started having a master having a mastermind he was just brilliant you can't take that away from him in week one and we've got our work cut out for us on Sunday I uh, I'm going to preview I think Matt Cosgrove and Matt DuPont are going to join me in the show shortly, and we're going to preview every aspect of the game. But, I mean, yeah, I, I don't personally think that you can take much away, much from the Week 1 game. Completely different circumstances. We've seen teams play like the Rabbitohs and the Panthers last year. Week 1 in the finals, obviously the Rabbitohs won that game, and it was the opposite story in the grand final. But, um, you know, I'm more, I'm more interested about how... So we'll get into what you think and how you think the game is going to play momentarily. But what I'm curious about this week is that obviously it's been 36 years since Parramatta won the Premiership and um, last in '86, and they won four in the '80s. And you know that's out of 70 years, they've just won four in those six years. And you know one of the greatest sides of all time, that that '80s Parramatta Eels side. And we saw it's, it's it'll be interesting because obviously there's going to be a lot of motion, and you're a diehard. Uh, Parafin as well, um, Josh. But 
I think in situations that emotion can somehow sometimes be a really positive thing and, and, and drive a club in these big games like a grand final and getting over the line. And we, we've seen that 2014, the Rabbitohs, they met their first grand final in 43 years. They got, got the job done in a convincing matter at the end of the game. And Cronulla, you know, that big occasion in 26 years, uh, in 2016, it was, you know, the 50 year anniversary and they come out and it was a, you know, they had to beat a very good Melbourne storm side. That they, but they did, they got it done. And, you know, it was some of the best moments we've seen in NRL history, it can also have the opposite effect, where the pressure gets to the players, and um, you know, I think it's important that the Parramatta Eels fans this week enjoy the, uh, the Parramatta Eels fans and players both enjoy the week, and the the, uh, the Eels players might be better off not thinking too much about the opportunity and just uh, on the occasion and and just concentrating their natural game. How do you see that, mate? Because as I mentioned, it can even even drive a club and. You know that that pressure can be a real motivating, motivating factor. It could also, um, you know, that pressure could, I guess, culminate in a in a disappointing performance come game time. So, do you think that the the circumstance and obviously the occasion that Parramatta find themselves in are gonna, um, you know, are gonna either overwhelm them or they're gonna be able to handle it come come what seven o'clock on Sunday night? Yeah, it's um definitely an amazing point and I mean it's it's what makes and breaks teams in the grand finals and I mean Penrith have been here they've done that um, uh, basically all of their players have played in a grand final before um, over the last couple of years and um, Parramatta have had none is it one I don't think any Parramatta Ryan Madison is the final. only one Ryan well, Madison he was in the he 2018 grand know. final for the for the Roosters Ryan Madison was the, was yeah, the guy there? So, um, but other than that, yeah. everyone in that eel side, yeah. other than Madison, have not played in the grand final. But at the same time, there was a lot of pressure on us about um, two months ago, and I was beginning to doubt how we were going, and we just reacted to the pressure. The pressure was mounting on us to whether we were just going to be pretenders again, whether we were going to just make up the numbers in the in the finals, and the. The last two months of footy has absolutely been brilliant. We've just aimed up um, the Gutho's work, Reed Marnie's work has been much better over the last couple of months. Um, Dylan Brown has just been at his at his best, and then Sean Lane and Papali'i on the sides. And I mean, say what you want about our bench rotation; it's been working for us, even if Jake Arthur is just a wasted body on the bench at the at the moment but um look i i think leading up to this game Parramatta's just got to remember it's same old same old it's just another week of football we've beat penrith twice this year but it doesn't mean anything come sunday we've just got to prepare prepare as we always done prepare for a normal game of football just get our just get into the grind just get into our rhythm and we will go far in this game. Let's talk about finals week one, as I mentioned. We don't want to dwell too much on it, but it was 27-8. What lessons, if any, do you think Parramatta can take away from that game, and how do they improve? Now, we look back at finals week one, and that first 20 minutes, they were in the game. It was a real physical encounter. It got away from them um, as the game progressed. But, you know, we've talked so often on this podcast about the one-two punch of Campbell Gillard and Paulo and... Um, you know, I was really impressed by Ryan Madison and the fact near the end of the game where there was no Eels forwards last week against the Cowboys that he was 
able to take those tough carries um, near the end of the game with your backs and just keep using the fight. Um, I guess, yeah, how do, you, how do you stop Penrith early? How do you guys, you know, um, start well? Because I think that South Sydney showed it last week on Saturday that the start's so important and, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to put everything on your start because South's ran out of gas. Those two tries that Penrith scored before half time against the Rabbitohs really probably cost them the game at the end of the day. And Penrith went on and destroyed South Sydney in the second half last Saturday. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is how did Parramatta stop the momentum that the Panthers build so quickly in contests? And really, I think, in my opinion at least, when Parramatta for them to win this grand final they're going to have to be their best for 80 minutes because um, you give Penrith an inch and they'll take it definitely and I mean uh, the start is as you said is so important even though South started on fire Penrith didn't start well that's going to be different on Sunday and the first 15-20 minutes of finals week one was definitely a good grind we were in the game we were doing well but what we were lacking was effort in defence not sorry, not defence, but our kick defence. Cleary had all the time in the world to kick the ball. No matter how, no matter where he was kicking it from, he had all the time to place it where he exactly where he wanted to. Had all the time in the world to put up those bombs, which um, affected Wonga Blake. And you can say what you want about Wonga Blake um, missing those bombs. Had our forwards and our markers been putting more pressure on Cleary um, he wouldn't have been able to put such pinpoint kicks in that um, affected one of Blake and it'd be very interesting to see because I have seen recently Penrith blocking plays I would love for a referee to actually blow a blocking play penalty because they are becoming masters of it and no one else in there not many people in the NRL are noticing the fact that they have their they have their forwards impeding the defenders um, out of marker more than any other club. So it's just something small they're getting away with, and I feel like it should be fine-tuned. It won't be fine-tuned for the grand final. We're just going to have to put in way more effort to get to clear and put that pressure in. But I definitely something I'd like to see moving forward is getting rid of those markers. We mentioned David Cleary's game and how important, obviously, he's going to be in the grand final. He is the most influential player in rugby league, I think it's safe to say, apart from maybe Tedesco and, and Tommy Turbo when he's fit. Um, what about Mitchell Moses, mate? Because, obviously, he had a mixed bag last week. His first half was disappointing against the Cowboys. Um, obviously, him and Dylan Brown's combination going to be very important in terms of managing the game. I thought Dylan Brown was a little bit quieter last week as well. Obviously, I think he ran for 300 metres against the Raiders. A bit more contained last week. Um, I guess for Brown, it's a little bit more about quality of touches when he's going to touch the ball and the impact he's going to have the game. He's not going to be you know, having 30 runs, but um, I feel like to break this Panther-Panther's defence, the Parramatta... Eels might have to get a little bit more unorthodox in their attack and not play as structured. And I think that the teams that have the most, you know, free-flowing football, um, not just throwing a ball around, but, you know, a kind of structured style, I guess, even though it's ironic to say that style of free-throw football um, has yielded the best results against Penrith over the last few years. So I guess what I'm getting at is, um, you know, how did Penrith break this... uh, How did Parramatta break this Penrith defensive line? Because it's been so impressive... Um, for so many years. And is Charlie Staines a target for Parramatta to explore uh, explore there? Because 
unless there's a late change for a kickoff, it's most likely going to be Sebo marking up against Charlie Staines. It's it's def it is definitely and I thought um Charlie Staines was actually fantastic last week. I feel like he was almost best on ground. He was good up against Stout. He he ran. He just his the effort was there, which we haven't seen from Staines in the past. So, but look at the um, size difference there. The size difference yeah. between between Sevo yeah. and Staines. Surely yeah, the Eels massive. have got to be uh, targeting and that side. We, we will be going left, but I think what Moses needs to keep doing, he loves his short side raids, and that's where Penrith seem to falter. So in the couple of games that we won against them, Mitch Moses ducking down that short side and catching them unawares, he loves doing it. And he's so quick off the mark, which is why he's able to catch teams unawares, because he's sitting at first, first or second receiver all of a sudden ducks in and Reed Martin knows exactly what's happening, feeds it off to the right, and we score a couple of times or get, at least get it through. And I think that is definitely one of the things that we'll have to keep doing. And, of course, we've got, I think, the probably, the, aside from Hudson Young, the most informed second rower in the comp at the moment with Sean Lane. He's just been... Fantastic. ...out of this world at the, recently. He did, the lines he runs, the decoys he runs, just the effort plays that he's doing is just amazing compared to what he was doing earlier in the year and even last year. And it's just absolutely phenomenal how far he's progressed as a player. And I think his combination with Brown is definitely going to be one of the things that will get us across the line. Um, They work so well together and just those... The short passing from Brown, for some reason, people, um, defence just still don't pick it up. They're looking at Gutho out the back, and Sean Lane just all of a sudden bursts onto a Brown short ball. It's definitely a combination of that and just effort. It's just all going to have to be effort against Penrith. Not dropping, um, even if we make mistakes, not dropping our heads, just keep putting in that effort because it's effort that wins your footy games. And especially against Penrith, if you can keep up the effort, then you're in with a really good chance. All right, Josh. So with that all being said, I mentioned at the start, how's the nerves going? Uh, and ultimately, do Parramatta get the victory come Sunday? And um, I want your prediction on Clive Churchill. I want to know who the first try scorer is going to be. And I want you to know. I want you to tell me the X factors that you think are going to win Parramatta this match come Sunday night. Yeah, well, um, uh, I'm glad you didn't mention margins because I'm as uh, pleading the fifth on that one. Very superstitious in that sense because I ruined the Eels' flight. I ruined Eels' week one by tipping the Eels. So I'm not going to mention margin. But, look, I mean, it's going to be a tight game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout unless... Um, Para doesn't show up, but Parramatta is going to show up. Whether either team wins, it's going to be within four to six. I just don't see it blowing out like some other grand finals. I think for Parramatta to win, it's just all going to have to be about Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown. I know our forwards are so important on the edges, but to win this footy game, it's going to have to be on those two. Gutho and Dylan Edwards, they are massive X-factors for both Parra and Penrith. But at the end of the day, 
they are workhorses, but they're not gonna they're not gonna make or break the grand final. It all comes down to the halves, and it it's really Cleary versus Moses for that. Clive Churchill, I think, if Para win, um, Moses will be Clive Churchill medalist. If not, Dylan Brown, and if Penrith win, I've got either Appy or Cleary. Appy coming off the bench is so dangerous and such a good idea. So Kenny comes up, comes up forward and takes the hits, takes the brunt of the start of the game and allows Appy to come in later, which I think is just a phenomenal tactic from Penrith. Um, so Appy, Appy Edwards are definitely the X-factors other than Cleary. And for power, I've got Sean Lane, um, Sean Lane, Guffo, and I'll also go um, Mike Acevo marking up against Charlie Staines. And I do think Char- I do think Charlie Staines will struggle, and I think Mike Acevo will score uh, first. Barge over, um, one of the classic barge overs that Sevo does. Staines goes flying. Sevo's going to score in the left corner to start off the game. I love it. I love those predictions. I mean, what happens if Parramatta win? Because when they won in 1981, obviously we were both weren't alive, but they burnt the Cumberland Oval. They got burnt uh, down after Parramatta won their first premiership. I, I mean, have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, it's just crazy to think. And even though we all year we've been saying Parramatta should make the grand final, it's crazy that we're here. It's just... It's been a long time coming for Eels fans and, you know, um, I'm cautiously optimistic and against at the same time we're versing a champion Penrith team who have just been a benchmark of the competition for the last couple of years. So it's, um, yeah, it's Sunday night. It's just the whole of Sunday is just going to be a wild, a wild day and just... Emotional. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> The nerves will surely come in on Saturday and then more and more on Sunday. And I think I'll be a wreck by the time that um, the game starts. So it's, yeah. Well, yeah, let's hope. a good day. Let's hope they can get it done, mate. I mean, you're not. Parramatta, this Parramatta team, not just playing. Uh, you know, to try to win this premiership. They're playing for all the Eels fans that have been long-suffering. Um, you know, as a CF Sydney fan, I've been there, so I can relate um, for a long time between yeah. premierships. Obviously, we got one. Um, but, yeah, I, you, you're playing for the, the past team, that 80s championship team. You're playing for the likes of Kenny, for Sturlow, for Ray Price. You're playing for Highmarsh and, and that era, Hain, etc. that never got a premiership. Um, so, man, I I want to wish you good luck. We're all behind you. Everybody that's been on this podcast, pretty much, um, except Ethan Inskip, he was on last year, but he's not behind you, I'm sure, the, the Penrith fans. I, I, don't, um, I don't think, as, as kind as Skip is... Um, uh, on the podcast and to me I don't think he's barracking uh, I don't think he's behind me on this one I think it's gonna so, uh, yeah either yeah. or either or man. I think it's a feel good I think it's a feel good Ravi League story um, if Parramatta can get it done obviously heavy, heavy underdogs this week mate um, but good luck and uh, thank you for being on the show again it's always a pleasure having you mate and um, I guess go the heels damn right and just wanna say thank you for all your hard work this year Westy it's been an amazing year and thank you for all the barracking for power to get into the finals even though we've had many conversations about how disappointing they've been over the year at points but yeah doing an amazing job and um viva the underdogs 
let's go power them up. Let's go, the Eels. Or I'll see you uh, next. I'm sure I'll get you back on next year um, on the show, Josh. But uh, sorry I beat you in Supercoast this year, by the way. Unbelievable. Um, I still haven't been given you. All right, we'll talk soon. Go, go the Eels. Go the Eels. Go the Eels. Hey, guys, and welcome back to Steve's NRL Footy Tips. Is that part of the show where I'm going to bring in two guests that have been on the show before, and they're both returning today to preview the grand final? They've both been on multiple times. The last time you guys saw them was finals week one. So I'm going to introduce back to the show Matt Cosgrove and Nicole Tumitreski. Guys, we'll start with you, Matt. Uh, how have you seen the final series? Obviously, as a diehard St. George Yellow Dragons fan, September is not usually a good time of the year for you. But uh, how's these last few weeks been? And, uh, you know, on the show a few weeks ago, you actually predicted that it would be a Penrith Parramatta Grand Final, like me, Josh, and Batu Pond all did. We all thought the Eagles would week, yep. win week one. They didn't. But, yeah, overall, what, do you thought of the, what have you thought of the final so far? And in particular, last week's games with Penrith, you know, beating South Sydney and the Eels just getting, just surviving against North Queensland Cowboys. Yeah, it's been a good final series so far. From uh, the first game right until the uh, Panthers and South last week. And um, it was just weird when you introduced me and you called me Matt. I just, you know, didn't know, didn't know how to respond to that. But uh, here we are. I didn't even realise that I did it. I must have been trying to be professional. It's the grand final show. <laughs> Should be an absolute blockbuster, Nicolci. Uh, you also, Brisbane Broncos fan, I know that you got a soft spot for CR Sydney in your heart, and obviously we went down, um, you know, last week. But what have you thought of the finals uh, up to this point, and do you think the best two teams are playing this Sunday? Well, thanks for having me back on the podcast, Steve, for the third time. It's been a bit of an awkward introduction to the, the podcast world. That first week that I was on, out tipped you up, but I also said that Parramatta are my top five contenders. And then the next week, I. I decided when the first week I was on, the next week I had a big week one, so I overcooked them and undercooked them in back-to-back weeks. But uh, yeah, now the finals have been pretty good. Uh, that first week was pretty good. Last week was uh, a bit of a letdown with South going down, but you know, what do you do? A bit of a lot of talk this week with Parramatta with that controversial forward pass score in that first try. I think people just need to shut up. I think, uh, you know, Cowboys with an eight-point lead, Tony Payton even said after the game that, you know, they're in a position to win. It happened early enough to, to get over. And I think he's exactly spot on. So I think we've got the two right teams for the for the grand final. And you know, round four of the finals, round four between these two teams, could be a cracker. Mate, you're right about the fact that you out-tipped me the first week that you're on the podcast. Thanks for bringing that up. But uh, <laughs> one thing you have not been right about in our conversations off-air and on the podcast, you're right, is Parramatta. You uh, didn't put them in your top five contenders. Then you tipped them to beat Penrith. And then... Off air to me, you thought the Cowboys would get the job done last week, so um, we'll see if you can tip them right this week, mate. But they've been a, they've been a bit of a um, I don't know a bit of a, a hard thing for you to predict so far this year. Yeah, so we'll see how you go. But before we preview the grand final, we're going to preview our match predictions, our X factors, what both teams have to do to win, and ultimately, you know, who's going to win the first try scorer and the Clive Churchill medal. And you know, if you guys have listened to this podcast before, you know Matt Cosra is not the person to uh listen to when it comes to any sort of uh, betting advice at all. But we've got Nicolci on. He's going to have a big sang game already a little bit later on. But before we get to that, um, you know, we've seen some great grand finals in recent history. Parramatta have won four, and they haven't won for 36 years. And me and Josh Duncan talked about the 
expectation and how you know that passion and and you know the desires of the fan base for being starved of a premiership for 36 years it can really i guess boost a team and um you know they can get behind it and they can let that drive them or it can be too much pressure and they could you know self-implode come sunday Parramatta. but you know they've won four premierships 81 82 83 and 86 and the Panthers have won three. They won 91, 2003, and last year, 2021. And it's safe to say the Panthers have been the best team in the last three years of this competition. At this point of the show, I gave uh, Kosher a special mission this week. Um, he went away and he came up with the Parramatta uh, Eels top five players of all time, according to him. And I'm going to name the Panthers Panthers top five of all time. But we'll start with you, Cos. What do you got for us, mate? You've got your top five Parramatta Eels. Um, I know you put a lot of research into this. So, uh, oh, Who's number five? How does your list start? What are your top five Eagles players of all time? All right. Uh, as I told you off air, my number five had to be two players because I couldn't leave one off. And so coming in at five is Hindmarsh and Jared Hang. You put yeah. them down. It's huge. Just start to the list. That's huge. Um, any reasons why they're both five? Well, easiest, easily, I think we can all agree that Highmarsh probably one of the best second rollers of the 21st century. He's got the most tackles of all time. He tackled them into the ground. He's also a really good attacking player in the first few years of his career, which a lot of people understate before he became you know, a big defender. And Jared Hayne, 2009, mate, um, you know, basically kind of, I don't want to say single-handedly, but he was the main reason that Eels were in that grand final oh, winter store. So um, two good picks there. Who you got at number four? Cronin. You've never seen Mick Cronin live? I don't remember. No? Okay. Well, he played some Origins. Yeah, what year? I think 80 and 81. But yeah, mate, a, a, one of the I best. Like that old, mate. <laughs> one of the best players. I know you've seen every Origin, that's what I'm trying to say. But yeah, one of the great centres. Um, yeah. He played in six of their grand finals. He uh, lost uh, 80... Four and seventy-seven against the Dragons, um, but four out of six grand finals. One of the greatest centers of all time, and he was in the top one hundred players of all time. And you know he's a Jerrygong boy, local boy. He's still coaching Jerrygong teams to this day. He's just um, yeah. a class, classy center. All right, what's your number three? I've wanted you to keep John this list, but I guess I'm running the list for you. <laughs> number three, Brett Kenny. Brett Kenny's number three. Yep. Anything to say about Kenny? No, okay. <laughs> Mate, this is going great. This is... Well, just quickly to say about Kenny, he's the only player to score in three consecutive green finals ever. 81, 82, 83. I've got him He got disallowed two um, in the 86 grand finals. So, you know, and one of them was... Con- Contagious, I believe. Uh, I think he had a double movement there. Contagious. Contagious. Contentious. You know what word I'm trying to say. Um, I'm not a wordsmith. 
But yeah, but yeah, double movement there that cost him that try. But yeah, one of the Eels' great five eights and yeah. you know a great he had a great half partnership that led him around for years. So great pick. Your number two, yeah. as you mentioned, was Ray Price. You got anything you want to say about him, or are you just listing names out at this point? I'm just listing names, mate. But Price is right. He was a good player. He's a great player. Parramatta's leader for many years. He played in seven grand finals. He played in the game against Manly in 76 that they lost as well. He played in the 77 and then the five in the 80s. He won four out of seven. One of the Eels' best players and captain for many years. That's why he's there. Uh, and number one is uh, Chris Sterling. Uh, I mean, Peter Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you even say about Sterling? Seven, the only number seven to lift the trophy for Parramatta. It was either him or Paul Kent, but it was an easy decision to put Peter Sterling number one. Yeah, I think everybody knows enough about Sturlo. He's uh, he left that trophy room light back on on and back in 1986, so they've had a hell of an electricity bill over the last 36 years. <laughs> yeah, he'll be. Uh, I'll be interested to see his reaction if Paramount can get up on Sunday. Do you think he'll be there? Surely he's there. I, I think he'll be there. He has to be. Nick, any thoughts on that top five list? Good job, Cos. <laughs> Uh, does someone say Paul Kent? Is, that, is, he it, one, is he an actual NRL player? He, he played one first grade game for Parramatta. And it was a minute. Wow. It was the first minute he kicked off and he was like the uh, the emergency player. Something happened to someone in the warm-up and I think he lasted about a minute and went off. And that was his only first grade game ever. He used to be the... Was, right, here I was thinking he was the most underqualified reporter that we actually had in the game. Wow, okay. No, oh, he wasn't on the field for long, but obviously he's a... Good player to get to first grade, a great player. Or yeah. great, great in standard too, you know, players that don't make first grade. But yeah, he used to be the understudy for Sturlow. And they've got a yeah, rivalry okay. now. But anyway, that was your top five Eels players of all time. We'll go to my Penrith Panthers now. And, um, you know, I might actually talk a little bit about the players since I talked about all your players too, Cos. But uh, honourable mentions, I've only, got, I've only got five, but my honourable mentions, I wanted to highlight three names. John Cartwright. Great player for Penrith in his day. Scott Sattler. Obviously, everybody knows we're talking about grand finals and the greatest grand finals defending moment of all time. What a tackle. Saved the grand final for Penrith 2003. And he was a great player. And Reese Wesser, one of my favourite players. Went to see our Sydney later in his career, but one of Penrith's favourite sons. He was a fantastic fullback. He's only a, sh- a short fullback, but man, he was uh, great with the football in hand and he was a good defender as well. So uh, my top five now, and I, we'll see if you guys agree with this and I want your opinions. My number five is Brad Fittler. Now he's only at... Um, Pender for six seasons, so I really struggled. Did he do enough to make the list? But um, the youngest Australian representative, um, you know, he's, he played it for the Blues at a very young age. Um, but yeah, big part of that 1991 Premiership winning side, and I think he is a, uh, a favourite son of Penrith still to this day. Um, 119 games, he played lock there for most of his time before he, uh, or centre before he moved to 5'8", obviously later in his career at the Roosters, and I think most people probably remember him a little bit more for his Roosters days, but had a great career at Penrith. He's my number five. My number four is Luke Lewis. Um, one of one of my favourite players, again, one of Penrith's favourite sons as well. He's one of those rare players that played every position on the field at at different points of his career. Um, one man of the matches from all of them. He was part of, on the wing for Penrith's 2003 Premiership winning side. I think he was there from 2002 to 2012. Um, and, you know, a, a real X factor there in the second row near the end of his career. My number three, a bit controversially, I'm going to put Nathan Cleary in at number three. He's already made my top five. Um, it might be a bit contentious to put him ahead of some of those guys that I've mentioned, but, you know, Penrith only won three premierships. He's steered him around to one already. Um, 
It was outstanding in that game last year. I don't. Did he get Clive Churchill? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he got, he got it last year. I'm pretty sure, but um, you know, he's already established his legacy, and you know, he's one of the best, uh, the best halfbacks of the century so far. I think it's pretty easy to say, and um, you know, his legacy is going to keep growing. He could add a second premiership with Penrith, um, you know, to all those accolades that he's already earned um, this Sunday. So, um, my number two, Royce Simmons, um, hardworking, great hooker in his day, and. Two tries in the 1991 Dream Final. The, the two tries that, um, you know, got Penrith the Premiership. He uh, was a great leader in his day, great forward, and, you know, his impact. I think he's an underrated player. Might, uh, Penrith, play, Penrith fans don't forget him, but I feel like the wider rugby league world, he deserves more accolades. He was um, one of the great Penrith players in his day. And my number one, the leader of that 91 Grand Final, Greg Alexander, Brandy. Um, we know his passion for the Penrith jersey since he's retired in his commentary role, but a great player, great fullback in his day, and um, you know he led him well in that in that Premiership year. Obviously, the second half of his career, um, he had injury concerns and the death of his brother, which was tragic. Um, he was also a member of that '91 Premiership team in '92 when he when he passed tragically, uh, kind of affected the second half of his career. I think it's safe to say, but one of the all-time. Um, Great fullbacks we've ever seen. So those are my top five. What do you guys think? Yeah, all Nick, I think um, I think Nathan Cleary got spot on there. I don't think that's contentious at all. Considering what Clive Georgia for, which I just checked, he did. Uh, I think honourable yeah. mentions you can chuck in Isaiah Yo. I feel like he's done enough at the club in the last eight years to get a bit of a mention, and maybe, oh, maybe not quite with those other names, but even Dylan Edwards probably somewhere in like top 10, 15 players of all time. I don't see that as being too contagious. I mean, I also considered um, considered Craig Gower. You know, he led him around well oh, back yeah. in 2003. And Luke Prittis, there's been plenty yeah, of great players in their day. So, Craig. MG. Yep, absolutely. Craig Gower won um, the Dallium one year as well, if I'm not mistaken. It didn't actually get awarded because the 2003 Dalliums didn't happen. Oh, right, yeah. uh, but it should have been him. So, um, yeah, but those were our top five Eels players and top five Panthers players. Um, of all time, according to us, just our opinions. Um, obviously, some great players for both clubs, and you know, I really love the preparation that Cos put into that segment. So uh, <laughs> let's let's move on. Let's get to the grand final itself, and the action all kicks off at seven thirty. I thought it was seven. Now I'm just I'm looking at it, and seven thirty. It's half an hour later. I swear it gets later every year. But seven thirty kickoff. Yeah. It's getting later every single. Year. I swear it was seven last year. Um, but yeah, seven thirty. The Panther Panthers versus the Parramatta Eels from a core stadium. Up there in Sydney, and you know the two best teams all year going out. Well, debatable whether Parramatta one of the two best all year, but they really turned it on at the right time of the year. These two clubs have played four finals matches versus each other. They've only won two each. It's the first time grand final. They've never played in the grand final, considering how long they've both been in the comp. They played 106 times. It's Parramatta with the 60 to 45 advantage. There's been one draw. Um, the Eagles have beaten the Panthers two times this year, but obviously the Panthers won, um, you know, their most important fixture of the year up until this point when they beat the Eels twenty-seven to eight in finals week one. Obviously Mitchell Moses was out in the second half of that game, but um, you know it was an intense game to start. The first twenty minutes was pretty full on. Guy, uh, two players ruled out of the grand final this week. Taylor May has failed to overcome his injury. Staines will take his spot on the wing and continue playing there. Opacek won't be back um, for the Eels. Bailey Simonson retains his spot. And then on the bench, um, Nathan Brown comes in to replace Bryce Cartwright in a tactical decision there by Brad Arthur. Um, 
I mean, where do we even begin? The Eels are heavy outsiders. Um, they're going to have to be near perfect to beat this Penrith side that's probably been the best team in the comp for the past three years, and this is their third consecutive grand final. Um, and it's safe to say that, you know, they're going to be hot favourites and they're going to be ready for Sunday. And I'm going to start with you, Nick. Um, we're talking about how you haven't really been able to call Parramatta's season, and I think that's been a lot of people, how they've been up and down, up and down, and... Um, you know, at this time of the year, it's good to see them playing some consistent football. Eels fans have f- hope that they can break this elusive 36-year drought. What do you think Parramatta have to do, um, especially in the early stages of Sunday's fixtures, to upset Penrith? Because uh, Souths might have shown the way last week. They were perfect almost for that first half an hour, and they were up 12-0, and then a couple of things went wrong. And when it was 12 or at half time, I think most people, including myself, as a Rabbitohs fan, um, just knew the game was over, really, because it was 12 all and Penrith had all the momentum. How did Parramatta go one better than Seahawks last week and, um, I guess, contain Penrith early and carry on with the job and not run out of puff come Sunday night, Nick? Well, the game sort of got away from them in the first week where yeah, Moses went off the field, but I felt like what they really lost in, in the first week was that four-pack battle. I think you have to have a look at all the run meters out of that first week. It was just dominated by Penrith forwards as opposed to the Parramatta forwards, but... Last week, coming up against a good Cowboys side, they um, they definitely competed really well against their their full pack. Got a lot of got a lot of offloads away, but it wasn't just the volume of offloads they got away. It was also the quality of them. Like even Sean Langston went the game. Should have to see, but that was that was a quality offload. So I feel like I feel like if they can keep the form up from last week, then I feel like this full pack battle going to be pretty tight. So I I um. I kind of think this game's actually going to win, but going to be won by the backs. And in particular, I'm looking at the fullbacks and also the halfbacks for each club. I feel like they're the X factors for this game. And uh, if Parramatta can get out to a quick start like the South City Rabbitohs can, I, I definitely feel like this game will go down to the wire. What do you think, Steve? Well, I think that um, I hear exactly what you're saying. I think that if Pen- Parramatta are any chance of upsetting Penrith in this game, they have to start well because I don't know if it's possible. And of course, anything's possible, I guess. But I don't know if it's realistic that if Parramatta get down in this game and they, you know, are losing ten nil after twenty minutes, that it's possible to, you know, keep get this Penrith side um, kind of reel them in and, and take the game. I think that. Parramatta's start is of vital importance, and I think that it's going to come down to the ruck. I think that um, Paulo and and RCG are going to be ultra important, and obviously Fisher Harris and Lenyu for Penrith, and then getting those outside um, forwards like Lane and, and Madison and, and Kiki involved. Cause I'm just going off the hip now. I forgot to even ask you your opinion. What did Parramatta have to do to upset Penrith, especially in that first twenty minutes? Yeah, they've got to start real well. They've got to start. Like that's Parramatta's DNA, really. When where Parramatta's on and, and they usually go on to win, it's usually within you know their start, their first twenty minutes. So if uh, if their big forwards get over Penrith's big forwards and lay the platform, then and start well and get a couple of tries on the board, they'll have all all the confidence to go on with it. But if they find themselves falling behind and playing catch up footy, that's where I kind of you know say they they're going to be in trouble. Could be for a long night. So. It's all about the stuff. Nick had a great stat as well about um, first tries and, and Parramatta this year. Do you want to share that one, Nick? Yeah, I haven't got the exact stat on there, but it popped up on one of those, uh, those red NRL stat pages that you see pop up on your social media. But it was a scored the first try in roughly 80% of their games this year, with Parramatta only scoring the first try in 42% of their games, or thereabouts this year. So, that, yeah, yeah, it's a big stat. Well, I've got, I've got all the confidence that Parramatta can come back 
try in. If that's the other way around, I'm not 100% sold Parramatta will be able to even pull back that 12-point lead. Yeah, that is the hold-up, isn't it? Especially with what we said last week against South. So I reckon Parramatta can get the first couple of tries in. Obviously, I mentioned it to Josh, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but um, so I'm not going to harp on it too long, but that emotion that Parramatta are going to be facing making their first grand final since 2009, it's been 36 years since they won the premiership, they're going to have a wave of emotion to start the game. So I expect them to start fast. I expect them to be up for it. But as we've mentioned, and are you guys concerned, and I'll go to you again, Cos, are you concerned that, you know, the... That history of De- uh, Parramatta not having success in recent history, uh, in recent times, and the fact that they've only got one grand final that's played um, in a grand final before in Ryan Madison in 2018. I don't think he was on the field for long as the Roosters beat the Storm that year, compared to uh, Penrith, who have had you know 13 players playing a grand final, 13 or 14. Um, do you think that the emotion of the moment could negatively impact this uh, this Parramatta side? And you know, we saw in twenty fourteen and twenty sixteen both the Rabbitohs, their first grand final in forty three years, and the Sharks after fifty years of not winning a grand final, they used that emotion and they propelled and got early points and really got on the top of the their opposition early in con- in those contests. What do you think um, heading into this game about Parramatta and their, I guess, mindset? Yeah, I think. Uh... Bailey Simonson as well. He played 2019. Ah. So they've got... Yeah, okay, he's played one. Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, spot on. They've got to have the right mindset going into Sunday. Like, the full week has to be... Like, just don't get too ahead of yourselves. Don't picture lifting the trophy. Don't find yourself doing that. Penrith are just going to put your pants down. They've been there, done that. Well, majority of them have. And... Madison's the only one that's won a premiership, as you said, he wasn't even on the field that long at the time. But uh, yeah, if they if they're thinking about the moment right now, before the moment happens, then yeah, it could be could be a long night for Parramatta. Uh, and Nick, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but we'll go to Penrith momentarily. What do you think Parramatta have to do? to win this game of football. They're heavy outsiders. I think most uh, agencies, like the betting agencies, have them around the 3 to 350 mark. Um, yeah, but Parramatta, we know they're going to have to be close to perfect. But what do you think their game plan is going to be heading into this game, and what do they have to do to get the uh, get the premiership at the end of 80 minutes? You've got to make sure that Nathan Cleary doesn't play the full 80 minutes. No, I'm joking. But they've got to put a, they've got to put a lot of key pressure on Nathan Cleary and make sure he doesn't get any good bombs away, to, especially to Walker Blake's side. Hopefully he can catch some balls this weekend. Uh, but yeah, look, timely offloads, game manage, you know, strong defences, pretty much just go back to your basics, and I think like Parramatta will be in for a good shout. Um, I also then, uh, Joshua also talking about, and I get your guys' opinions, that do you think Parramatta could you, and I know that Staines was really good against Sears, but Staines at this current time, unless they pull a late switch, is going to be marked up against Sevo. Sevo is a much bigger body than Staines. Do you think that Moses is just putting bombs on that left-hand side, trying to get, I'm trying to expose Staines out of position? I'll go to you, Cos, but do you think that's definitely a target that Parramatta can look to expose potentially? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I haven't really looked too much into who's coming up against too, but Sebo uh, versus Staines just on paper is quite the mismatch. So Parramatta can execute that game plan right, then yeah, poor Charlie Staines could also be for a long night. I think completion rate's so important because I think that, um, you know, 
It was CS biggest problem this year, um, not to mention CS again because they're not playing this weekend. But a lot of teams have problems hanging on to the ball, and I think that if Parramatta are going to win this game, they've got to be over eighty percent. And I think that um, they've really got to be putting, as you mentioned, as much pressure as Cleary as possible. Josh actually blew up when he was on the show um, about half an hour ago about the blocking plays that Penrith have used to kind of protect Cleary <laughs> that have gone unpunished. So um, you know, Parramatta are going to be on their game to try to get pressure on him and. Um, you know, if they shut down Cleary, I'm sure we'll see Dylan Edwards and Isaiah Yo try to control the game. Jerome Lewis' running game will probably um, pick up a little bit to try to combat, um, you know, the lack of space that Cleary's getting. So Parramatta, they've got to be careful not to, I guess, over-focus on Cleary, but also make sure that he's not allowed to play his natural game and, and kick um, Parramatta out of this game because his, his accuracy is amazing and... Um, I mean, Parramatta are going to have to be the best to stop him. So I think that that's going to be a crucial part. I think the rain could play a factor as well. And if, you know, I hear it's been terrible weather in, in New South Wales the last few days, I think there's an 80% chance of rain come Sunday. I'll still go to you, Nick. Who do you think in this game the rain advantages? Because there's two points of, um, you know, two fears about this, that usually the underdog gets, you know, um, I guess helped because of the rain and because of the wet weather and it kind of makes it a little bit more of a grind. But I think there's also something to be said that the way to upset Penrith is by playing free-flow football and Parramatta being great at it this year, but the rain might limit their ability to throw the footy around and, you know, break Penrith's defence. Oh, I 100% agree with what you said uh, just then, Steve. 100% it guarantees... Oh, sorry, guarantees... It uh, benefits Penrith a lot more. If Parramatta's going to have a hard time holding up the ball if they're trying to offload it out of their ruck. It's just all slippery and whatnot. So definitely advantage Penrith. Well, you know, the fact that pa- that Penrith have that those defensive structures that are so hard to break and they're so quick off their line, um, I think it's important that, that Parramatta can play that free-flowing style. What do you think, Cos? Do you think it helps get Parramatta into a grind kind of mentality, the rain, Or do you think, like me and Nick, that it's going to hurt them? I think it's... it's- both sides, it's just whoever executes it best on, on, on the day. Both sides have played great wet weather footy. I've seen Parramatta do it this season. I've seen Penrith do it this season. So whoever can get on top, get in that grind, you know, kick, kick into the corners, chase well, and all that. I'll start with you again, Cos, but before we go, I'll get all three of us to name uh, before we go to the Penrith side of the of the match I'll get all three of us to name who are the three X factors going to be for Parramatta in this game who's going to be the guys that have to step up in the key moments and who are going to be the keys to victory I'll name mine first because I put you guys both on the spot for this I think obviously number one is going to be um, Mitch Moses I think that if they've got any chance he has to be um, you know targeting both wingers his kicks have to be perfect and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him and you know Cos mentioned earlier that Sturlow's the only number seven to ever lead Parramatta to a premiership. Now, this is Mitchell Moses' day to become a superstar in our game. He's up against a superstar in his opposition, number seven, in Cleary. He's going to be so important in this game. And, um, you know, I think that even he might even need to take the, the line on a little bit. My number two is Clint Gustin. I think he has to pick his moments, um, you know, carefully. And, and I think it's going to be more just kind of like Latrell Mitchell and the style he plays. I know Gustin's more of a workhorse. But him and Dylan Brown aren't going to be getting the amount of opportunities they usually get in games with this Penrith's defense. So I think they're going to have limited opportunities, but they have to be quality. Um, their moments where they choose to run, they choose to get involved, 
Gufton's going to be roaming from both sides of the field, so I think he has to pick his moments. But if he can do that properly and he can get his kick returns in order, I think he could be you know, a potential Clive Churchill medalist. And my number three is um, Regan Campbell-Gillard. And, you know, you could go him or Junior Paulo, but I think that middle's so important. I've mentioned on the show so many times this year, that one-two punch is so important for Parramatta to get momentum and, you know, get over the advantage line early and, um, you know, Get Moses and Brown in a good position to steer the team around, and that's important on those early tackle counts. So those are my three X factors for Parramatta. You can have you got there's plenty of people to choose from. I mean, Sean Lane was enormous last week. Cos, who's your three for Parramatta? Yeah, pretty much. Echo, pretty much what you said. I would have gone. I would have gone Moses, Gutho, and either of the front rowers. They've got There's no question about it. Basically, Jay or Paulo have to be have to go beyond what they're capable of. If they want to uh, win on Sunday, Nick. But, um, maybe, oh, you go. Maybe I'm yeah. sorry, Green Marty. He's uh, regardless of the result on Sunday, it's last game for Parramatta, so uh, I expect a big game from him on Sunday. Uh, again, also that his defence in the middle of the field very important. You know, he's making forty to yeah. fifty tackles a game. Nick, what are you? What are you, mate? Who's your three X factors for Parra? Yeah, hard to see Gus getting too many opportunities considering what Blake and Sam is going to get the, the brunt of the kicks. But um, yeah, I think Gus, when he does get a hold of the ball, he needs, he needs to take his moments well. Uh, Mitch Moses, he's going to have a bit of a better game than what he did last week. Lucky enough, his Parramatta teammates picked up the slack for him. But yeah, a couple of couple of straight kicks and a bit of indecisiveness last week that I think was a bit of a lacky a bit of poise from him. So I think Sean Lane as well. Uh, for the four packs, I feel like we'll probably be at loggerheads this game. We'll probably be pretty even going both ways. So I'm like Sean Lane's probably the X Factor out of both squads to break this game open. That's fair. Um, awesome. So let's go to the Penrith side now, guys. And we've talked about what Parramatta have to do to potentially win this game of football. But um, obviously, Penrith are going to go in overwhelming favourites. Um, they deserve to be. They've been the best team for several years. And they just have a way of turning it on on a moment's notice. They did it against the Rabbitohs, they did it against the Eels in finals week one, where, you know, they're in a grind, and, and the next minute they've exploded, and they've scored three back-to-back tries. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start with you, Nick. How do, how do Penrith beat Parramatta come Sunday? I mean, the expectation's going to be on them to deliver um, for their fans. As I mentioned, they've been the best team. Um, they've got their, you know, all their stars are on board. How do Penrith beat Parramatta come Sunday night? All starts with their defensive end. They're going to try and lock up the ball as much as they possibly can, try to stop that offload game from Parramatta. Uh, Dylan Edwards is going to stand up. He's been standing up the whole entire season, and he probably was worth a good mention of taking out Dalian fullback of the year, but he's, he's, he's going to have an excellent game on Sunday, carrying out the ball of his own end and also being up in the line as well with their attacking and defending. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've said. Nick, uh, Cos, what about you, mate? Penrith, you know... Expectation can be a funny thing sometimes, and teams can struggle with it. But this team is just, you know, once in a in a generation in terms of the talent yeah. they've possessed. Three green yeah. finals in a row, superstars all over across the field. Um, is it more of a case of Penrith just got to keep it simple and play the natural game they played over the last three years, or how do you think they get over Parramatta come Sunday night? Yeah, just keep it simple. Stick to the basics. Stick to what's been working for the last pretty much three and a half years. Back end of 2019 is when they really they went on a, a nice run. That they didn't finish in finals, but they still went on a nice run in 2020 and 2021. And now 2022, they're just uh, they're just the machine. They just 
they have their, their job, they just do everything so well. But uh, to win on Sunday, I'd have to say they've got to uh, have a better start than last week. They don't want to find themselves down 12-0 this Sunday because it might be a different story to what it was last week. Well, we know that emotion is going to be a big factor for Parramatta and Penrith are going to have to, um, especially in those first five to ten minutes, Penrith are going to have to, you know, survive that wave of emotion and then, you know, manage their game appropriately from there. But I guess I'll rephrase it for you because, because, you know, you guys have both said keep it simple, keep doing what Penrith have done for the last three years, which is a very fair answer. But what do you think is going to be worrying Penrith this week? What do you think they're working on to try to, like, where, what in Parramatta's lineup? worries Penrith and you know you could say maybe nothing but surely Penrith have been working on a game plan to expose particular elements of Parramatta's defence and shut down their attack what do you think Oz? Yeah I think uh, they'll be probably focusing a lot on maybe Sean Lane he's been fantastic the second half of the year and I know you're very um, adamant that he's been the uh, better second rower in Parramatta in the second half of the year which I do you know, is a fair argument. I named Papa Lee here my team of the year, but I think that Lane's second half has just been enormous. Yeah, he's, like, he was huge last week. Obviously, uh, Mitch Moses is another one they'll try. And uh, quite, as uh, Nicolte said earlier about um, his performance last week, he be excused last week because came out post-game that he obviously missed the birth of his uh, firstborn to, to play. So he's obviously had a lot of things on his mind and, but uh, they're lucky enough to get through so no excuses this Sunday though that's all that's all done and dusted and um, yeah we'll see you on Sunday Nick uh, any comments to add in terms of what you think Penrith have been working on this week to combat Para and what parts of the game they're worried that Parramatta could throw them yeah their hearts uh, I, I think they're probably worried that their hearts can stand up but I feel like if they can um they shut them down, put a lot of pressure on their kicks, put a lot of pressure on their running game. They're not going to be able to go far. Yeah, I agree. So that. They're probably, yeah, yeah probably, probably just six and seven, and probably just and limiting Gutherson's involvement as well. Really look at that spine, just trying to limit the spine's involvement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when. You know, Parramatta beat the Raiders 40-4 to two weeks ago. Dylan, uh, Dylan Brown had over 300 metres. And then you look at last week in that tight game against the Cowboys, he was nowhere near as effective. Um, I think what we said about Guffo and, and Dylan Brown spot on, who knows how many opportunities they'll get. But if they can capitalise on that, they can be huge X factors in this contest. So, um, you know, they've been professional. They've been the best team for three years now, Pender. They're going to be very hard to beat Sunday. Parramatta going to have to be close to perfect. So I'll start with you, Nick. Who are your three X-Factors for Penrith? Who are the three men that are going to step up? And, you know, we're basically naming F, who, if Penrith win, probably be the three men of the match, really. Yeah, I've got a couple of boring answers. I mean, really all three boring answers. But Isaiah Yo, uh, Nathan Cleary, and who I think will end up taking the, the Clive Churchill medalist, Dylan Edwards. Huge call. Huge call there. Uh, Cos, who, if Penrith are going to win this game, are going to be their three standouts? I've got that.
and that we copied them uh, pretty much the <laughs> same way for game two. And Cleary, Ivan Cleary, done that move last week and worked wonders for them. So I've got happy Coruscant. Fair enough. Um, so I mean, we're looking. I, I let's talk about that for a second because Appy Chorus here. Um, you know he. The good thing about that combination is Kenny does a lot of the work up front, a lot of the tackling, um, and sets the stand it there. And then Chorus here. Um, I mean, he does. He's such an attacking player that when he comes to the field, he doesn't have to. 30 minutes into the game, the opposition are tired. He can take advantage of it. It's just worked enormously this year. So I like that call. I'm going to go Dylan Edwards. I think he's in for a huge game. Nathan Cleary, so the two boring answers. The other name that I'll throw in is um, Liam Martin. I think that he has the ability um, to get in the face of these Parramatta forwards to upset them and to get some more, more raw emotion than what we're going to see at the start of the game out of these Parramatta forwards. And I think if... Liam Martin upsets, and I think he has done it against South several times as well in big games. If you're going to upset Parramatta early in this game, or at any point in this game, Parramatta could self-implode. So I know Queensland caught him, you know, the biggest grub um, that New South Wales had, but I think that he's a key component to if Parramatta are on top of this game and if they have all the momentum, Liam Martin can just start, you know, um, I guess testing the testing the uh, the fair game kind of friends but, you know, fair competition part of the game and, and upset some of these Parramatta forwards. So those are my free game breakers. All right, we're going to wrap this up in a sec with our um, predictions in terms of who's going to win the game. But before we do so, Nick, we, you've already named your Clive Churchill, but we're going to, we'll do the first try scorers now. Who do you have scoring the first try? Well, Patterson, he's my first try scorer. He scored a lot first tries for Parramatta the last two weeks. I reckon he's going to go for three in a row this week. That's a big call because uh, I can't remember when we did last year's show, but I did all the first try scores for the NRL era, so only 98 to, to now, and uh, the centre has scored the most. And then he scored last year, Matt Burton scored first. Crazy. Uh, yeah, so, sorry, my bad. Who did you predict, Cos? I got a message, my bad. Who, have you predicted someone? Penasini. Who have you got? Yeah, that's... Uh, well, I've put no thought into it, so I'll go Stephen Crichton. <laughs> All right, no thought. Stephen Crichton, I love it. I'm, I'm going to go Mike Acevo. 12 bucks. He loves scoring in Parramatta. Sevo's my pick. So um, we'll do Clive Churchill after our predictions for the match. Nick's already named his, so I guess we'll start with Nicolci. Who's winning the grand final in 2022? I'm going to echo Gowling, Gus Gould's comments from earlier in the week. I'm going to say this is going to be one of the all-time grand finals. It's going to be remembered for a long, long time. Battle for Western Sydney. Uh, Gowling, we called it going to extra time. I feel like this game's got that type of feel to it. It's, you know, it's been, a, been like five years since the grand final has been decided in the first half and the first half only. That was back in 2018 with the, I think Bruce was like an 18 and leave the half time. So I think Perrin's going to win by two points, but it's going to be an extra time. Huge. Coz, uh, what do you think, mate? That's huge. That's a big call. Listen. It's a battle between my heart and it's a battle between my head. Um, the heart the heart wants what the heart wants and I'm going to have to tip Parramatta. And I'm going <laughs> to... 
<laughs> Look, I'm going to have to go with Parramatta by 10. I think that if they can start the game from motion, I think we could have one of the all-time grand final upsets. And honestly, the rugby league world, how good of a story would it be? 36 years, one of their best mates is a Parramatta supporter. He's the same age as us, because He's never seen the Eels win a premiership, and he's going to be up there this week. My old man, Parramatta supporter, he hasn't seen the Eels win since he was 20. I've got it back, Parramatta. Um, I think that if anyone can beat Penrith, it's them. Penrith deserve to be favourites, but I'm going to have to put my faith in Parramatta, which leads us to our Clive Churchill. And since I'm the only one that's tipping Parramatta, I'm going to go. My Clive Churchill medalist for 2022 is Clint Gufferson. Um Nicolci, repeat what your prediction is because you said a little bit earlier. Dylan Edwards. And Coz? Clive Churchill. Alright, those are our predictions for the 2022 uh, NRL Grand Final. I want to thank both Nick and Coz for being on the show multiple times this year. I want to thank everybody who's supported and and, um, helped this podcast grow. We'll be back next year. I'm going to have my YouTube channel that's launched, I believe, in February. uh, where We're going to have some content there. These audio podcasts are going to go up there and there might be some video content as well, but um, we'll talk about that soon. I hope everybody enjoys their Grand Final this week. Before we Get out of here for 2022. I think I've done 44 episodes. It's been a hell of a journey. Uh, Nicolci, your first time on the show this year. You've been on three times now. Anything you want to say before you wrap it up for 2022? Yeah, we're missing a segment here. We've got the bet of the week. Ah, look at that. I forgot. You're right. You're right. I was just so excited about the the game itself. I forgot. I did give you an assignment. So before we go, Nicolci's multi of the week, I said that I wanted to call someone with experience that can get a multi up and Matt Cosru and Nicolci were the options. I couldn't go Cos. I had to go to Nicolci. Nick, give us your same game multi. What's going to get these folks at home some money? I feel like this game's not going to have too many points in there. What's the others at? I think it's at like 36 and a half roughly. So I only think this, this game's probably going to be about like four or five try scorers in there between the two teams. So I've got an eight-time try scorer combo of Penasini, Brian Toto, and Dylan Edwards, and that's going to get you about 19, 20 bucks. And if you want to spice it up a bit more, I'm going to chuck in an under uh, 56.5 for whatever whatever the highest unders you can put on there. Should should chuck that multi up to about 25 or 26 bucks. So, yeah, Will Penasini, Toto, Edwards, eight-time try scorers. Also, for the uh, points bet uh, members out there, the points bet's running promotion uh, up to your first $20 stake. If your team scores the first try, you pretty much get paid out early. So, with that stat that I said before, Eels will score the first try in about 80% of their games this year. Penrith only scoring in about 40, 45% the first try in the games this year. So, take the stats there. Looks like Paramount has scored the first try. You only get paid out with a nice $3 odds. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. It's a, it's a good tip. I forgot to mention as well that my little secret bet, there hasn't been a grand final draw at halftime since 1976. And Dan Ganade said it this week on his Sports Bet podcast. 8.25, I believe it is, to have a draw at halftime. I think I'm going to be on it. I think there's a possibility we could have a halftime draw. You might take that even a step further and chuck in a halftime draw with the team that you're back in a full-time. Might yeah, be, might be a decent Juic- as well. juicy odds. I like it. Um, anything you want to say, Nick, before we head out, mate? Thank you for being a part of the podcast this year. Thank you for having me on. Obviously, like I said before, it was a bit of a, a weird start. Obviously, you know, obviously being you the tips, but then underselling Parramatta one week and then overselling it the next week. So let's hope I get it right this week. But 
Yeah, good Parramatta, to be honest. That's, you know, one, one thing you like to see in sports is a nice homegrown team. And Penrith have provided that over the last couple of years. But you know what's the other thing we like to see in sports? Uh, uh, dynasties. We don't want to see that in our sports. So let's go Parramatta. Hopefully they can break their curse. Thank you for being a part of the show, Nick Coz. I mean, you're almost a regular at this point, mate. Um, excited, excited to excited for all three games this week, mate. But is there anything you want to say before we head off uh, this year? I think we're all with Josh. We're all behind Josh. So, so. My heart wants to come around to me, but my head, I'm just, you know, I'm just going logical, but yeah. Go to the Eels on Sunday. Let's, let's be serious here, but let's just thank God it's not the Roosters playing the Eels on Sunday. Yeah. Mate, that was my grand final prediction at the start of the year. Thanks for bringing that up. I got one out of two. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I forgot the Roosters would have had to go through the mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs to get there. So, of course, they didn't make it. But uh, thanks, everybody, for being a part of the show this year. Thank you for all the support. Josh Duncan, we're behind you. He's, uh, thank you for being on the show this year as well. And go Parramatta this weekend. Um, despite two of us predicting Parramatta, I think we're all behind them. Let's hope they can break that 36-year dynasty. And we'll see you next year on Steve's NRL Footy Tips. We'll be back in February. I think the competition might start early. I think I've heard reports. I think there might be like a 27-round schedule. It's been confirmed. All right, March 2nd. So I'm going to have 16 season previews before that. We'll see you next time or next year on Steve's NRL Footy Tips. Enjoy your grand final this Sunday.